You know the story of Solomon and the two women arguing over the child. And um, in the uh, gospel reading today, according to John, we're in the second chapter, it's very early on. And this time the Lord is in the temple and he overturns the tables of those who are exchanging money. And he makes a whip of cords and he drives everyone out who is who is selling uh, sheep and cattle and doves and so forth. Um, you know the uh, and he says, uh, what sign can you show us to prove that you have the authority to do this? And he says, destroy this temple, meaning his his body, and I will raise it again in three days. And they say, well, it took 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it in three days. Well, later on, people will remember his words. Now, a couple things uh, in this. First of all, we are making a spiritual pilgrimage. Uh, we gather up on the Celian Hill today at Santo Stefano. This is a fascinating church. It's, it's a round basilica, Santo Stefano Rotondo, they call it. It's a very interesting church. And then we make our way several hundred yards. Well, yeah, a couple hundred yards over to Santi Quattro Coronati. And uh, this is right along the route that you would take if you were at the if you were at the Colosseum and you went past San Clemente up the hill, the edge of the Esquiline, and you were going up towards St. John Lateran, you would pass right by Santi Quattro Coronati. And I used to walk this way every day when I was at the Lateran University. I'd walk up this this long slope and sometimes I would stop in and, and look at this church. It was very interesting. Um, in its elements. And the Quattro Coronati uh, referred to, well, it's a very complicated history who they were. There are several different groups of martyrs, four martyrs. And um, let's just say that, let's just say that it's complicated to figure out who exactly it's dedicated after. It was probably a group of soldiers and the idea of them being crowned, um, well, in ancient times, uh, legionaries, uh, when they did something particularly splendid, instead of getting medals like we get now, they got crowns. And so it could refer to the group of soldiers that were martyred, um, I think in the time of Diocletian. Um, a couple of rapid po uh, points about this. Um, firstly, uh, the money changers and those people who were there in the temple uh, providing doves and, and oxen and, and so forth for sacrifice in the temple, people when they would sin and they had to, uh, they had to perform an expiatory sacrifice at the temple. They couldn't do this in the synagogues. They had to do it at the temple. And so you can imagine that there were a lot of people coming and going out of this place and, you know, if you were coming from some distance, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bring an ox with you? So they were making it possible to get these sacrificial offerings uh, very close to the temple. And, uh, the, you know, doves for the, the poor people and the oxen for the wealthier people, depending on the nature of the sacrifice. There were different kinds of sacrifices. There were those that were um, to... Um, as part of purification, if they were ritually impure, if they had committed certain kinds of sins, they had to offer a sacrifice. And, and the sacrifices that they would offer in this case is they were the animal would represent themselves, 
And so they would lay hands on the animal. And so the animal became a representation of themselves. And then the animal is completely destroyed. And uh, the smoke uh, goes up goes up to God. And this is all um, laid out in books like Leviticus and so forth, what they're supposed to do. Now they had, the problem is that they had encroached on the courtyard of the Gentiles. And the courtyard of the Gentiles is important for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the courtyard of the Gentiles was the place for the Gentiles to be able to come to worship the one God. And the Lord, um, and this is important especially in the Gospel of John, because the Lord uh, is waiting for um, indications that his hour had come. You know that hour in day language in John is very important. And the, one of the signs that, to the Lord that his hour had come is when uh, Philip and Andrew, um, who both have Greek names, uh, approached the Lord and says, there are some you know, Gentiles here who want to talk to you. And he says, now my hour has come. And then you hear the voice of the Father boom out. It's one of the only, I think, three times in the entire Gospel where you hear the voice of the Father. So that indicates that the hour of the Lord had come. So the, the coming of the Gentiles to find the true God is very important. And uh, if they've encroached on the courtyard of the Gentiles, then they have nowhere to pray. Um, another point is that that's raised in here when his disciples said it was written, the zeal for your house will consume me. Well, this is, see, the, the point of something being set aside for the Gentiles made it a holy place. It was set apart. It's like, it would be like me uh, taking the chalice that I use for Holy Mass off the, offer, uh, off the, the altar here and then using it to uh, drink, uh, uh, you know, a Diet Coke or something. You don't do that. You don't. You don't use sacred things for profane reasons. So that's um, a little bit of background there. Another point, too, about this is that John makes it very, very clear that they're close to the Passover. They're close to Passover. This, that means it's, it's springtime, just as it is for us. You know, the word Lent comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, Lenten, which means spring. And so this reading... Um, and its context and its uh, proximity to, to Passover should um, grab our attention because this is the journey that we are also making. We are also in going to the Roman stations. The Roman stations were also kind of an imitation of what they would do in Jerusalem and going and visiting different churches. Um, and so this should, this should appeal to our hearts and open up our hearts. Now, this, the point from the book of Kings, I'm kind of puzzled as to why uh, this reading is here. It might be the connection with Solomon, because Solomon was the one who built the temple, and the Lord is dealing with the temple. It could be that. I'm not quite sure why it would have any connection with Santi Quattro Coronati, the, the station church, or even the, the, the Colic church. It puzzles me a little bit. I'm going to have to work on that a little more. But there is one thing that we can say about this. King Solomon um, was the one who built the temple. David was not allowed to do it. Solomon had to do it. But you'll remember that Solomon 
um, took many, 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 many wives. And he took them from the Gentile nations, from the nations. And he did this probably to create political alliances. In other words, to expand his influence by marriage and therefore secure a, a larger influence uh, for his descendants um, over the territories around them and even farther away. Um, doing this for secular purposes, temporal purposes, just like the courtyard of the Gentiles was being used for um, a secular and temporal purpose, a, a purpose that it wasn't made for. Uh, and Jerusalem itself was the place for proper worship of God. That's why God brought the people out of Egypt. It's why they had to be purified in the wilderness. It's why they had to be brought to the promised land because they were being brought to a place where they could worship God in a way that pleased God. That's the entire point of it. And so just as we have the misuse of part of the temple, um, uh, Solomon has a misuse of his uh, as a figure, even though he is he's very you know wise in this. You'll remember you remember that when God uh, God, if I remember correctly, God interrogated um, Solomon as to what he wanted, and Solomon asked to be wise. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for power. He asked for a, a share of, of wisdom. Well, he loses this wisdom. And he, in the intermarrying with all the pagans, and eventually he himself forgets the proper worship of God and begins actually to worship false gods, the gods of his various pagan uh, Gentile wives. And he starts to take on their ways, and he actually performs abominations um, and uh, idol uh, idolatry in terrible ways. And... Uh, um, afflictions come from this. So I think that this is part of what's going on, what the connection is with Solomon. So we get a very famous point of Solomon reminding us of what he was like before he, before he was corrupted. Now what can this say to us? I think you can say to us partly pride goes before the fall. Um, we, can, uh, we can start on a path that seems to be a good path and in fact the money changers and the people selling cattle and sheep and doves and so forth sitting at the tables there in the temple were trying to perform a good service but they were doing it in the wrong place and in the wrong way and then of course it became a, 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 a mercantile situation in a holy place. Solomon <clears throat> started out by trying to secure greater influence um, in, the, in a secular sense um, and that overwhelmed his purpose of being the Davidic priest king that he was supposed to be leading the people in proper worship and he fell not just far he fell very far the fall of Solomon was a terrible fall and I think this can this can can remind us that each of us have to be careful. It's 
it's easy to start down a path thinking that you have good uh, reasons to do something and that you're uh, justified uh, in, in doing something maybe just a little wrong and that becomes a slippery slope that uh, uh, is very hard to get off of and sometimes it takes a then a terrible uh, abrupt uh, tragedy um, as it does in the case of Solomon um, you know to wake things up or even the intervention of someone who has um, all the love in the world for us just as the Lord um, in making a whip of thongs and driving the people out wasn't doing them out of hatred of them he was he had holy anger but he did so ultimately um, as an act of love of charity um, that what he did um, just as everything that he did was always informed with sacrificial love, which is charity. So sometimes it takes a tragedy. Sometimes it takes the intervention of others uh, to get us back in the right path. But we should be always examining ourselves very carefully to see what is our motive, what's my motive for doing this? If I'm tempted to do something a little wrong for a good reason, what will be the consequences of this? And we should be, we should be wary about that kind of reasoning. Dominus Hobbies whom Oremus. Deus,